Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. Into our series. So we've been on the series, um, Dear 21st Century Believer. We started last week, Dear 21st Century Believer. And the focus of this teaching, all right, is just to retreat to the believer or to the man in Christ in in this age and time, certain things, certain things. You see, open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. Open your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them sleep. All right? Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we let them sleep. And so this part of this portion of scripture lets you know that it's not just enough that you heard it and you believe it. You have to give and you have to pay attention to it. You have to go by it again and again. Because listen, it can sleep. It can. And so, how does this have to play with dear 21st century believer? You see, there are certain tenets of the Christian faith we have to remind ourselves about every now and then. Because, you see, every now and then we can slip into some things. Sometimes, based on our theological, you know, calisthenics, and, you know, we just, you know, do some gymnastics here and there, we can begin to play around certain subjects where there's nothing to play around there. For example, there are some things we, we don't argue in the Christian faith. We believe it. Do you understand me? It's nice that we can have extra information about it. Thank God for apologetics. Thank God for explanations here and there. But listen, these things are not subject to discussion. For example, Jesus being the Son of God. See, thank God we can explain, you know, we can show from Scripture and this, this and those and all like that. But listen to me. There are, so many things, there are certain things that are the base of the Christian faith so much that it doesn't even matter whether you have the full explanation of it or not. Jesus being the Son of God is what we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. It's that simple. Or that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Thank God for ability to explain from Scripture. Thank God for enough apologetic evidence that we can use to explain those things. But listen to me. Those things must not change. There must never be a point where we now begin to feel, uh, well, maybe he did not totally die. Maybe his heart just stopped beating. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. Listen. He died, he was buried, he rose again. And I'm saying that to say there are certain things, there are certain elements of our Christian faith that we must agree and say, you know what, concerning these things, nothing changes. This is at the core of the Christian faith. They are not things that we debate about, they are not things that we try to discuss about, they are not things that we try to, you know, move left and right over. We, they are believed in the heart and confessed with the mouth. That's how it's done. All right. And so, what we are trying to do with this series is to once again put in remembrance those things to us. And I said something, you know, I said, I mean, anybody who sees this series or, or likely, very likely, when you see the title of this series, the first thing that comes to your mind is Dear 21st Century Believer. So you might be thinking, oh, you know, we are thinking, of, we want to show you how, you know, you can mix Christianity with, you know, how the world has evolved. And then you can, you know, just, you can put the, uh, what's the word? Put the cool in Christian or the cool in church, or something like that, you know, and you might think that that's what this series is about. Well, I'm here to bust your bubble. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. In fact, as I said in, in Layfair, rightly so, on Monday, I said, dear 21st century believer is actually an insult. There's no such thing as like 21st century believer. I mean, based on the context anyways, all right, if it's the context of the year you are in, that's totally fine. Oh, right now, you're a believer in the 21st century, fine. 
um, or there was a believer in the 20th or 17th century, fine. But if you're trying to say it as 21st century believer as per a more refined kind of believer, you're wrong. You're very wrong. Do you understand? There's no such thing as a 21st century believer being more refined than we are both believers. Why? Because that which makes us believers has not changed. Do you understand? What made you a believer? You believed in death, burial, resurrection. What made the other person in the 17th century a believer? He or she believed in death, burial, resurrection. As long as both of you believe in the same thing, they're both believers. Devoid of time, timeless. Because you think about the fact that the gospel in itself is timeless in origin. This thing existed before time began to exist. God's plan and purpose for all of humanity, God's plan and purpose for all of mankind began to exist long before time was created. Because time was not created until when the world was created. All right, time, space, and matter met at the beginning of the world. And so, if we agree that time did not begin to exist until the world existed, and that God already existed before the world existed, hence he existed before time, and he had his plan before even the foundation of the world, then we can recognize this, that the message of the gospel is a timeless message. Hence, hence, you cannot, hence, it's not more powerful in the future than it was even before the beginning started. So, there is no such thing as a more refined believer in the 21st century than there is in the 17th century. You just have believers. No special 21st century believer. Are you with me? So, I just, you know, I wanted to clarify that. So, actually, this topic is more of a sarcastic topic. That's, that's actually what it is. It's not, it's, it's actually a, sort of, in a sense, a mockery. Okay, well, hello, 21st century believer. Because, because that's the thing. We are beginning to have an ideology of church that feels like a social club. We are. And I mean, by all means, the church is a family. The church is a place where you're supposed to come around and feel good. You're supposed to come around and feel, you know, feel nice because you're seeing your family members. But you must understand the reason why we feel good. We feel good because, all right, we feel good because, you know, we come to see believers, you know, that make us, you know, rejoice and so on and so forth. You must understand why they feel good. They feel good because either, I mean, because, I mean, you are seeing other, you know, brethren just like you, or whether still you are rejoicing because of the word that you have received. It's not that we have the responsibility to make you feel good whenever you come to church. So in whatever way possible, we have to make you feel good. No! That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility as a church is to make you, or is to get, get the word into your heart, get the word into your mind, have your mind renewed by the word, such that you now begin to feel good when you hear the word. That's our own responsibility. Our responsibility is not to make you feel good in any way. So thank God for the fact that, you know, you have preachers who are able to, you know, um, teach God's word while also making jokes by the side and he makes things funny and so But listen to me. If you had a man come to deliver God's word to you and he cracked no single joke from morning till evening while just dishing out the word as it is, all right, doesn't make him any less. Doesn't make him any less. All right. And so we have to go back to these basics once again and tell ourselves if I can say, see, the way the world reasons, even from the way the church reasons. And so what is the ideology of the church concerning these particular topics? That must be my ideology. That must be my ideology. And so that's the idea for 21st century believer. And we started last week's Sunday looking at be um, looking at you are separate. You are separate. And what I try to do from explaining you are separate is to show you that from the very meaning of the word church, which means called out ones, it already gives you an idea of someone or something that is different from any, every other. And what I tried to explain to you there was to show you how that before you got saved, you were not, you were not just some, I'm, I'm looking for the word, you were not just some unserious guy who now became a serious guy. 
oh, you know, you decided, oh, I want to take my life seriously. So, Kenny can watch your Jackie was saved. Because imagine here, my Christian. So that Mule, Mule take life me a lot more seriously. Then you now, be, you now became saved. So, you know, and so people talk about salvation like it's a stage in life. No, that's not what salvation is. So, while, of course, salvation can have an impact in your life so mighty that it, it counts as a stage in your life. But what salvation really is, is that now you are begotten into life. You were always dead. And so Ephesians 2 verse 1, for example, says that you are the quicken who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walks in the children of disobedience. So the way you were is that you were dead in your sins and trespasses. So you were not just some, you know, guy who was doing good. And that's the reason why people make it look like salvation was them doing something nice for God. All right. So you see, so yeah, oh, the pastor called another call and then I came out and I gave my life to Christ. All right. All right, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it gives the idea of, oh, you know, I was, I was now ready for God. And so because I was ready for God, I was now ready to let God have his way with me. That's not what it is. You need to realize you were the one that needed help. And you were so bad, you didn't even know you needed help. So not only were you in danger, you were in danger and you thought you were doing well. You thought you were doing good. And so God was trying to, you know, the only thing I can think of right now is, I don't know if you guys have seen this funny video of a particular ship that was stuck <laughs> a ship that was stuck i think in a ditch there about and it was a really long i think it was like a passageway or something um a re- i think it was maybe a drainage way or yeah, something like that and then the ship was inside and then the you know the farmer whoever pulled the ship out of it and the ship in trying to you know show that he's free jumped again and entered and that's pretty much the way we were because we had we we didn't even realize that we were in bondage we thought oh we we're living life that's the reality. And so, the goodness of God appeared to us in salvation, and then we received of it. We were dead. And so, when you look at the world, you don't look at the world as, oh, Christian, non-Christian. That's not it. You look at the world as dead and me as alive. That's how the world is. You know, if you were to look at the world as dead and I'm alive, you would understand why you cannot have the same ideology as the ideologies of dead men. It just doesn't make any sense. You can't. And then it will make a lot of sense also to you why the way they behave the way they behave. Because it's funny when you hear a couple of believers talk, you, hear, you, you can tell that believers expect the world to act in a way that believers react. They can't. Even if they try, they don't have the capacity to consistently do so. They don't. They don't. And so you have to now sit down with yourself and tell yourself, oh, I was dead, now I'm alive. That's the differentiation between me and them. So, salvation is God bringing me out of something into something. Salvation is not God rebranding me. No. Salvation is God giving me a new life. So, before you were dead, now you are alive. Alright? Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4. Go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. From verse 3 to 4. 2 Corinthians 4. From verse 3 to 4. Oh, glory, glory, hallelujah. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. He says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the, the minds of them which believe not. He says, let the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, to shine on them. So can you see that? He says, you know, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. He says, whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So, number one, he says, when you were not saved, you were lost. When you were not saved, you were blind. 
You were blind. So can you say that guy? So salvation is that God brought us out of something into something. He brought us out of what? Spiritual blindness. Out of what? You know, um, 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 being lost spiritually. And he brought us into his household. Brought us into his family. And so you must always have that perspective to salvation. Oh, I was here. Now I'm here. That's it. I was on the world side. Now I'm on God's side. That, that's how you must always think. It, it's, and I, I said this last week. It's not, you know, uh, Christianity, Islam, um, other religions, and then bad people. No, it is light and darkness. That's what, God, that's what God's word says. And you must get to the point where you have a worldview that is consistent with God's word. You, you, must, you know, I, I hear people say this, and to be fair with you, I, 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 I almost, you know, fell into that trap at some point, all right? You know, there's a way sometimes you can feel like, you know, you're very smart, and so you deserve to have your own opinion, all right? So, for example, there'll be certain matters where you ask me, and I say, this is what God's word says. And of course, at the end of the day, because I'm a believer, I, I surrender myself to it. But then I'll now, you now hear me say things like, um, however, from my own rational perspective, this is what I expect that should have been done. No. <laughs> no. If at any point in time you have an opinion, you have, a, you have an opinion somewhere that does not entirely agree to God's word, even if you affirm that your priority is God's word, as long as you allow for an opinion somewhere in your mind that is not consistent with God's word, then it's not total. And listen to me, obedience is not obedience if it's not entire. In fact, you know, Daddy Adeboy would always say, Partial obedience actually is disobedience. So if either you are for God's word or you are not for God's word, it is a hundred percent. All right, it's a hundred percent. For example, so so you you find uh 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 you know uh, um you know the disciples, for example, ask ask Jesus, you know you know what is the you know what is the greatest commandment, and then he says, all right, that you serve the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your soul. It's all, it's entire. Jonathan, you don't you don't dictate. How you serve. You serve with all. You receive with all. You accept with all. So you must not have a perspective towards God's word that allows for your own separate opinion. No, you must take it all. So look at, for example, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, where Paul says, I have these things, you know, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think. Now go there. Let me show you something very interesting about that part. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Because people don't really pay attention to what Paul was saying there. First Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Don't let me quote it. I want to show you something important there. All right. So it says, And these things, brethren, have been a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written. Look at what it says. It says that none of you be puffed up for one against another. Now notice how in that verse 6, when it says not to think of men, the word men there is in italics. It is. So, and, and I mean, I've, I've thought, I mean, for folks who are not new, who are not exactly new here, I've thought to you that when you see words in it, it means they were added by the translators to aid understanding. They were not there in the originals. All right. And so if we just for now overlooked men, here is what we we'll have. That you might learn in us not to think above that which is written. So the context of this verse is not about necessarily men. It is that you must not have the thinking or a mindset, or a pattern of ideology that is contrary to God's word. He says that no man, he says um, that you may learn us not to think, like don't even have a system of thinking that is above what is written. Meaning, 
Your worldview must be influenced by the word. And if at all you want to be logical about it, your logic must not emanate from the word. Your logic must. So let me give you a very dicey one, for example. One that I had issues with a very long time. The matter of abortion and having kids and stuff like that. Now, for a very long time, I always felt that, I mean, um, people should be able to decide if they're ready to have kids or, or, or not, or so on and so forth. But here's the thing. From scriptures, if you, well, if you are to study from scriptures, one thing is clear. Abortion is wrong. All right. And so you now have to come to a point where, because here's the thing, if you want to speak logically and you want to try to explain and stuff, you'll be able to explain logically and say, oh, I mean, you know, the woman is not, you know, can decide I don't want to have kids because, because in fact, she wants to be a good parent and she doesn't know if she has time to be a good parent yet or she doesn't, she's not ready to have, you know, to be a good parent, et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. But listen to me, I must get to a point where I first say that this is what God's word says. And then from God's word, I now let my logic take over that's how you must do it because if you ever at a point where you now have to this you say this is god's word but based on my own logic this is how i think it should be but because it is god's word i submit to the logic of god's word that's not entire that's not entire and i can promise you if you were ever at a crossroad where you needed to make a decision concerning that topic chances are eh, that opinion that you've allowed somewhere in the recess of your mind will show up chances are that opinion you allow. So you, you must get to a point where you totally subject yourself to the truth of God's word. Even if it is not the ideology that is really. When you say, this is what God's word says. I believe it, that settles it. And if at all I am going to be logical about this particular thing, my logic will be largely influenced by the word. So now, if I'm not going to do logic for this one, and my logic is now this. Oh, this is what God's word says. Oh, okay, no problem. Also, oh, the logic behind this will be this and this and this and this based on what god's word said now because of course when i'm going to argue with maybe someone who is a a non-believer or something like that about such a topic i'm not going to come and jump in front of you and say oh i, I do this because god's word says this well that is not bad if i am trying to convince you well you're, and it's a it's a secular gathering well you're not a believer so i can't try to convince you by saying because the bible says this I have to convince you by logic. But I know at the back of my mind that my lo logic is largely based on God's word. However, I'm going to speak to you as though I'm speaking to you by logic alone. But in reality, my logic is founded upon the tripod of God's word. Why? Because I understand this. God's word stands sure forever. The, the one who made the world, which we are arguing about, is the one who gave this word. So at the end of the day, his word will always work. In that simple. His word will keep the world the way it is supposed to be. Is that simply what it is? All right. And I know you're being honest with yourself. When you see the way the world works again and again, at the end of the day, you just sit down and you tell yourself the honest truth. The world needs Jesus. Is that simple? The, the world actually that's actually the solution to everything. The wars, the fighting, the this, the that. The world just needs Jesus. Do you understand? We can make plans in the interim, we can do things here and there, we can do stuff, you know, try to mitigate and, you know, try to um, um, avert some problems, etc., etc. But the reality of it is this the world needs Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to homosexuality. He's the answer, in fact, not just to homosexuality, but also to homophobia. Is the answer to, you know, people having, you know, people having um, identifying as whatsoever, being transable, you know, transgender, etc., etc. All of those things in Christ Jesus, those things are answered. He, he, that's that's the honest truth. So we have to get to a point where you know we can say that okay, I have logical explanations for this. However, the reality of it is this: my opinions are also largely coined, or better still, they are my opinions are largely formed 
on the basis of God's word. On the basis of God's word. Hallelujah. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back. Open your Bibles. We're still on, still on, you know, the idea of where God has brought us from to where we are right now. Ephesians 2 from, from verse 11 to 13. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. And what I'm trying to do here is to really emphasize to you what God has done in you at salvation. To make you realize that you're not just some nice guy now. Do you understand? Salvation is not just you being a good guy now. No, that's not what you are. No, you are a man saved by the Holy Ghost. Saved by the work of Jesus. Saved by the blood of Jesus. God became man to do this. It has to be a big deal. If God who is timeless, all right? If God who is not limited by time, who is not limited by space, all right? Now comes into a world where he is limited in time, all right? He is limited in the things he does. Then we must say one thing. We must say of the truth, this thing that he has done must mean a lot. It must mean a lot, all right? So now look at Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. He says, wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12, that at that time, pay attention, you were without Christ. Look at what he says. He says, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Can you see that? So he says, we, we were strangers from the covenant of promise. We had no hope. <laughs> we had no hope. And we're without God in this world. But look at what he says. He says, but now in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus. He says, you sometimes we are far off. I've been made nigh by the blood of Christ. So now, listen, listen. So there was a point in time when, so when I look at who I was before, I wasn't, you know, some guy who was, I wasn't just some guy who used to party and drink. No, that's not just who I was. I was a man who had no hope because I was without God in this world. That's how you must see it. And so, guys, this must influence how we see the unbeliever, no matter how nice their life looks. Because here's the thing, you are more likely to, when you read this, you are more likely to accept it when you see an unbeliever who is drinking and smoking. But when you see a well-put-together unbeliever, I mean, you know, say, tall, dark, and handsome, has a nice car, you know, low-cut, well-kept, you know, probably even hits the gym, so, you know, muscular and stuff, clothes look really nice on him, and maybe even likes to wear white native. So now, you look at that kind of person, and then this doesn't entirely, all right, this doesn't entirely um, agree to what you know. So now you see such, you see such, and you are likely to begin to think that, I mean, based on these external factors that you're seeing, you are, you are likely to begin to think that, uh, well, this kind of verse cannot be referring to this person. This person doesn't look like they have no hope and they're without God in this world. Because I mean, who, uh, this person has a car. You know, this person is living large. It's probably living in a very good apartment, etc., etc. But that's the thing. You, you have to let your ideologies be influenced by the world. You have, sorry, by the word. Sorry, not by the world. By the word. You have to let, so now, when you see ladies post funny pictures on IG for likes, and they actually do get the likes, you have to get, you have to tell yourself the honest truth and say, listen, this is, this is the world. Do you understand? This is not just, this is not just a game of who is better looking. This is actually the world in this play. Do you understand me? And so you have to tell yourself, I can't do this because this is of the world. Guys, it's not old-fashioned to say, you know, I, I don't do things like this because I'm a Christian. It's not old-fashioned. It's not. It's not every trend you have to jump on. It's not everything you have to wear. You are a believer. For God's sakes, you are. It is, uh, this is, looks fine. I wonder how it's going to look on me. See, let me tell you something. 
unless until you get to a point where you can tell yourself, this is one line I will never cross. You're actually bound. I'm going to say that again. Unless you get to a point where you say, this thing, it doesn't even matter whether it is right or wrong. Because let me tell you something about the world. The right or wrong, when it comes to the world, changes every day. It is only the word of God or the foundation of God that stands sure. All right? The, 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 what is, I mean, there was a time when a man having sexual relations with another man would have been a big problem. But it's not anymore. It's not. So you need to realize that right and wrong according to the world changes. But listen to me. The foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are is. And let him who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. It's, it is clear from God's word. This is what it is. And so you must be able to say certain things and say, number one, I must be able to say, I'm not going to do this because I'm a believer. That's number one. Number two, you must be able to say, this is a line I will never cross. It doesn't matter whether it is not a sin or something. I will never, you know, there are some arguments that believers argue, for example, that I just believe is, is, is stupid and unnecessary. All right. So, for example, you hear things like, ah, he's taking alcohol wrong, you know, uh, and then in the explanation of he's taking alcohol wrong, you say, you hear things like, when Jesus turned water to wine, how do you know that it was, it was this thing wine? It must have been alcoholic wine because they were merry. Who told you? I mean, if today we have fruit wine, why is it so hard to believe that that day it wasn't fruit wine? Why? 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 So that, that so don't don't try to form a theology that accepts what you want. You say Bible says, Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. It did not say be not drunk with wine. It just said where is in excess. Do you understand? So it's not that you why not have boundaries where you say this one is not a matter of and they're saying things like that for me it's not a matter of whether it is right or wrong i just don't do it do you understand there is not a discussion it's not it's not up for discourse do you understand me it's not up for uh, uh so what's your view concerning theologically i don't care this one i don't do you must have clothes like that that you can never wear and you must be able to confidently say, I will never wear this thing. And no, and you must be able to confidently say it because you know, come what's me, you will never do. Because listen to me, you must get to a point where, see, peer pressure doesn't move you. Or at least, to a very large extent, you can stand against peer pressure. Also because most of your, most, or at least, most of your friends should be believers. Not that you're packing on believers up and down. You know, a random, <laughs> God. You know, the way my mind works sometimes is so funny. You know, I wanted to make, I wanted to make maybe a tweet, a WhatsApp post, something about, um, you know, something about your top, your top three on your playlist is Ducey Oyekon, Victoria Oreze, and then Pastor Emmanuel Iren, all right. But then, um, but then your boyfriend is not a believer, and then under it, I just write unequally yoked, unequally yoked goals, or. Uh, because that's that's the way it is for some some for some people. Because now you are trying to you on one hand are saying, "Oh, I don't drink, nothing like that, and stuff like that." But the most closest person to you is not just doesn't just drink; he's literally an addict. Do you understand? He's an alcohol addict or he's an alcoholic. He, he doesn't it doesn't make any sense. He doesn't. I don't. How exactly? When I when I find people like that, the first question I always ask is, "How do you maintain relationship with this person?" What exactly do you get to talk about? Because almost everything about you is different. So how exactly are you guys friends? It's a different thing if you guys are just acquaintances. You guys say hi, hi sometimes. If you claim that this person is one of your besties as a way, how exactly are you being besties? What exactly are the things you are discussing? 
What exactly? And so, guys, we need to get, we need to, and that's that's the point of this series. We need to once again reaffirm ourselves of these facts and say, guys, we are in this world, we are not of this world. Bible says, if any man loves the world, he says the love of the Father does not dwell in him. If not, you, you, can, you will either love God or you love this world. Do you understand? And this is not just, as I said, it's not just about pleasure and stuff. Even to money. Even to money. This, number one, this ungodly crave to get money at all costs. It's not okay. It's not even a way to live life. It's terrible. So now you have 20 year olds, 23 year olds entering depression because they are not driving a car or because they are not earning millions. There's a problem. There is. There is. Because here's the thing nothing really satisfies. If you if they start earning that millions now, by the next three, six months, thereabouts, the, that million will not be enough. Now they need to start making more. And so you live your life in a rat race. You don't know how to live life. It's not. It's not. And so, now we have to tell ourselves, okay, now it's fine to have money, but money must not have me. And so, we must be able to have conversations where you say, this is what I am able to do for money. Anything more than this, I cannot do it. Anything more than this, I can't. Because sometimes you see people who do these interviews on the road, and then they ask people, can you do this for one million naira or something like that? And you hear the barbaric things people are ready to do for the sake of money. For the sake of money. And here's the thing. For some of us, all right, we might not say, oh, I cannot do this, I cannot do that. But there are some times when you hear some of these things and then you begin to think, ah, eh, is it that bad? Ha. That's, that's the beginning. That's the entry road. That's the entry road. You see, one of the things I always do for my mind is this. Whenever I notice that certain things that would trigger me in the past no longer trigger me, I take it, see, the way I go into the extreme to counter it, sometimes it can be as basic as this. If I notice, for example, that whenever I'm walking and a song randomly pops up in my head, the first song or the first two songs that pop up in my head are not Christian music. What that might mean is for the next two, three weeks, I'm not listening to any other kind of song except Christian music. It, is that, it can be that extreme for me. Like, I'm not ready, I'm not interested in hearing anything else. Or if I know, for example, that there's a particular secular artist who his song pop up in my head, maybe something like that, randomly. I decide for the next couple of weeks, I'm not listening to you at all. I don't want to hear your name or anything. You, you need those kind of things are necessary. Those kind of things are necessary. So now you know, I mean, genuinely, Bible really doesn't say anything about listening to secular music because not that not every secular music is terrible or is bad. Do you understand my point? So Bible doesn't necessarily say don't listen to secular music. But listen, you must you must be able to stop at the point where you say, this is my boundary and I'm not crossing it. So now, there is God's word and the provisions in God's word where he says, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But there must also be places where you drop the line as a believer and you say, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And so you say, this one, no, I'm not interested. There is nothing you are going to tell me from today to tomorrow. There are some fashion trends I cannot jump on. It's not, there is not, I can't just jump on it. It's, and I have no, here's the thing too. If you say, ah, ah, but this person is doing this and he's a Christian, he's a good Christian. That's him, it's not me. <laughs> Do you understand? That's, that's him, it's not me. Me, this is the line I don't cross. It's that simple. Be, and don't bother trying to rationalize it because I'm not even ready to think with you. This is what I'm not going to do. 
I'm not willing to cross this line. Alright? So, that's a mindset you must have. And so, the point of this series is to re-engineer our minds in a way where we say, you know what? What does God's word say about this thing? That's the ideology I'm going to have. And it doesn't matter what the prevalent ideology is. This is what this is where it's going to be. Do you understand me? And then beyond even saying, oh, this is God's word about it, you will now also say, these are the boundaries that me I have concerning these things. I will not pass it. Do you understand? I won't pass it. Because, <laughs> I, well, I will delve into more, much more details of it as we move on. Do you understand me? You say, this for me, this is the limit. I'm not passing it. So, for example, a, a very good example for, 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 you know, for instance, is around us. God's word simply says, don't marry a non-believer. That's the provision of God's word. God's word is, says, don't be a non-believer, marry a believer. But listen to me, your own understanding now must be, I know I'm supposed to marry a believer, but there's some kind of believer that cannot marry. Now, I know that was not necessarily God's word. This one is just you and your common sense, where you say, it doesn't matter how fine he is, doesn't matter how smart he is, doesn't matter, you know, how romantic or so on and so forth he is. If he's not given to the work of ministry, I'm not doing it. I don't mean he's a pastor. I mean, if he's not given to the work of evangelism and discipleship, if his heart is not for seeing that people are saved and are brought into the light of the knowledge of Jesus, I'm not interested. You must be able to do that. If you are not able to draw that line, I can promise you, even standards you believe are you know, according to, you will find your way around God's word. I can promise you, you will be able to give some explanation. You say, hey, but God's word did not say that, this thing. Mm -mm. So you must be able to tell yourself, this alliance I will never cross. Right? This alliance I will never cross. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.media at gmail.com. We call you blessed.